And welcome to Fascinating Nouns. Now, if you are listening to this transmission, we are still the galaxy's most trusted source for incredible people, places, things, and ideas. Now, together we arrive at this curious nexus point, and we will explore the strange, unusual, offbeat, bizarre, intriguing, interesting, invigorating, quirky, quaint, quizzical, weird, wild, wacky, the fun, the frivolous, and the fringe, plus all the spaces in between. I am your host, Daniel J. Glenn. So this is a really fun episode I've got for you today, which is National Jerky Day. And in celebration, I've got a man who is no stranger to jerky, although he is not a jerk. This is Paul Sprangers from PowerPlantFoods.com. He is the trailblazer. You may have heard of this guy. He's the one who is taking eggplants, your everyday long purple things, um, the phallic emoji there, taking, he's taking these, dehydrating them with this beautiful little recipe and is turning it into eggplant jerky, which is a smart, healthy, and delicious snack, an alternative to um, the very salty and, uh, and low-nutrient-dense regular jerky. Uh, now, now, this is not to disparage regular jerky. I'm just saying eggplant just has a little bit more nutrients. But for those of you who love the beef, the, uh, the venison, the turkey, you know, welcome to listen to this episode. You can always supplement your jerky income. You can have an entire jerky platter. Let's say you want to have, you know, jerky turkey with a little jerky mashed potatoes and some jerky eggplant as a vegetable. I'm not saying you can't do that. As a matter of fact, I'm, I'm promoting it. I'm suggesting it. I'm supporting it. All those things. But before we do that, eggplant jerky is probably something you haven't heard about, and we're going to talk about the journey that Paul took to get to the point where he was making eggplant jerky for a living. So uh, let's just let's just get right into this. Paul, thanks for being on the program today, man. Now, when history is finally said and done, when people go back and they look over this millennium, they're going to remember you for not for your work with free energy, which is also very impressive. But as the guy who popularized eggplant jerky, that's my belief, my prediction as of right now. How do you feel about that? That's great. I'll take it. So you are you are getting into this stuff right now. You're you're heading the pack on this. How did you get into eggplant jerky? What, what's what's your story behind this thing? Well, um, uh, where do you want to start? I mean, just it's your story, man. <laughs> I mean, the short story is uh, I tried eggplant. We've got an hour to fill. We've got an hour to fill. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Make it long and interesting. Takes pe- take people on a narrative audio tour. Well, I mean, you know, when I first, you know, I went vegan um, at, a, at a low point with health issues. You know, I'd had my, like, one million uh, sinus infection. And um, you get a prize with that? Does the doctor give you <laughs> yeah. confetti and <laughs> yeah, you get a million sinus infections? Uh-huh, yeah, it's super fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, and you know, I grew up in a house where my dad is a, a doctor, my mom was a nurse. We that's all we took oh, wow. growing up, um, is antibiotics and prescription drugs. And um, you know, I it wasn't working and I felt, you know, just horrible. And this was the band I was living in Philly. And, um, I decided to, uh, try going vegan. I'd had a girlfriend, uh, who was vegetarian, you know, a few years before. And that was the first time I'd ever even considered it. Um, before then I ate a lot, a ton of meat, 
you know, it was the dude in college who would like throw like ground chuck meat in a um a frying pan and pour barbecue sauce on it and oh eat my that. God, dude, nasty. I mean, <laughs> that's um, sloppy Joe, though, isn't it? Isn't that essentially, essentially yeah, sloppy more or less? Joe. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I know the sloppy Joe enthusiasts. I'm gonna, my inbox is gonna be bombarded. <laughs> They're not gonna like what I just said. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's not technically sloppy yeah, Joe. Sloppy Joe's so nuanced, man. And <laughs> um, um, and so yeah, I I I went vegan, you know, and um, and it worked. I felt way better. I had better energy. Um, I you know, wasn't getting sick. My sinuses started clearing up and, um, you know, I was doing a lot of like just cooking up tofu and veggies and I would buy like, you know, meat alternatives, I guess, like soy protein. And well, let's go back. Let's go back a little bit because I think the story is kind of interesting is you were telling me that you, so you got asthma when your parents divorced Yeah. and, and you were having strep throat and, and chronic, so, you know, we joke about the 1 million sinus infection, but this was a, an ongoing thing with you. You noticed that your body is kind of breaking down. Yeah. Now that's kind of fascinating when you look at how you, where you ended up. So, um, mm. no, when did you first notice that you were, your body was kind of doing this? Was it, was it when you got asthma? Well, it's funny. Um. Yeah, you know, it's something that I kind of was just like, oh, this is uh, this is something I'm going to live with. That's kind of what you're told, you know, when mm. you go through the medical system, right? It's like this is a condition you have and you're going to take um, drugs to, um, to, to, to mediate your condition, right? Mm-hmm. And so I always believe that's just something I had. I was told maybe I'd grow out of it. Um, I never really did. Um, and when I was in high school, you know, I, I would fight through it. I was in cross country and track and oh, swimming. Wow. Like I was so defiant. Um and then, um, you know, in college, I, I don't know, I smoked cigarettes. Like, I did everything. Um, to, All the like, things you weren't supposed to do. Yeah, exactly. Um, was, was it weird having your parents being a part of the Western medical system and it not working for you? I mean, because kind of what you're doing now goes against everything that, that they were kind of educated on and I assume brought you up to believe. Yeah, Um well, you know, I feel like I have an advantage in that um, I was able to see behind the curtain since my parents were part of that system. I, I knew that these were like human beings, you know, it, that were wearing the white robes. It, it wasn't mm-hmm. like because some people still really think that the their, their doctors are the authority on their health and not themselves. You mm-hmm. know? Um, so I feel fortunate in that respect, probably. Um, unfortunate in that I was a guinea pig and you know this is in the 80s and 90s when you know pharmaceutical companies were really kicking butt and giving doctors uh samples to hand out to everybody so mm-hmm. <laughs> I was They're still doing that I don't yeah. know if you've been to a doctor recently yeah That's, that hasn't changed sure yeah um and you know they're doing the best I can I don't want to like um crap on, on on doctors because they really want to help people um anyway yeah um I think um, I hit that point where I was like, oh, I need to take, I need to assume responsibility for my health to to a, 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 a relative, you know, um, high degree and, and start figuring out, you know, what works for me. Yeah. Well, it makes sense. And you kind of, so you, you are, you're, you're a rocker, man. Like you, you just, you're, you're kind of in that world, right? Am I, am I saying that, am I saying that in a cool way? Are you, <laughs> you're a rocker, man. Is that right? Oh, I don't, I would not agree with that. I'd say I'm the biggest nerd I know. Well, <laughs> I'm what, not I, cool. I, well, I'm saying that. So you kind of like, 
So the story of your rock career is kind of woven in throughout this narrative yeah. because you you started a band mm-hmm. uh, and you went to NYU. Mm-hmm. So okay. you started a band there and you were touring around and you were very successful with this. Yeah. So, so what was that like, especially as it pertains to your health? Okay. Yeah. Um, it's yeah. It's really challenging, man. Because when you're in a, a touring band, you know you're in a dark nightclub every day and night or you're driving to a club or you're in a club waiting around and then um, you're drinking beers, um, potentially smoking cigarettes, you're staying up late, you're eating what's on the road. And as we got smarter and, and to, you know, as the touring went on, we, we would stop at Whole Foods, you know, and, um, and I stopped drinking like altogether um, because I'm pretty sensitive. Uh, but yeah, it, it's like a challenging, uh, <laughs> A career uh, to manage one's health, mental and physical. <laughs> no, I can imagine so. Now, in the, in in the story you were telling me that you you said you saw a therapist for ten sessions and you were shooken awake. Yes. But you you left it at that. I, I'm I'm at the edge of my seat. What 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 were you awakened from? Oh what, man, a nightmare, a dream. Or you just, wow, or that's just a woke? great question, Dad. Um. Well, you know, it uh, it was the first time I'd ever heard myself um, uh, talking out loud to someone who wasn't giving me advice or, uh, you know, hmm. or who knew me well. So um, I could hmm. kind of hear my own thoughts for the first time and, and hear myself, you know, saying like, oh, I don't like living in New York and Brooklyn. I'm always anxious. Like, um, I, I, <laughs> I, found, uh, I found a lot of strength in that. I was in a relationship that wasn't um, uh, working for me. And... Um, and, and, you know, I remember coming home um, after a session and, like, I felt all this energy in my body. Like, my body just felt, like, flooded with energy. And I told a buddy of mine, and he was like, yeah, you know, I th- think it was, like, maybe Eric Frome, this um, guy who's, uh, like, a, a German um, psychoanalyst. He was like, yeah, Eric Frome says, um, you know, once you start bringing awareness to what is repressed, it releases all the all this energy in your body and, and the energy that you were using to um, repress certain things or, or resist um, certain things in your consciousness, that energy now is suddenly like uh, released and allowed to like flow naturally. And I was like, Oh, that's what I feel like now that I'm bringing awareness to things that I previously was unaware of, I feel all this energy. And that gave me the strength to move back to Minnesota where I'm from and say, I'm not going to like, you know, uh, do the rat race in New York. I'm not going to like live to survive. Maybe I'll get a job at a coffee shop and just grill for the rest of my life. I kind of gave up on my dreams of making music. You know, Hockey Night um, was the first band I was in. I was like, maybe I won't ever be a musician. And I swear to God, I moved back to Minnesota that summer. And that's when DFA, the uh, the general like manager of the label, was emailing me. He's like, hey, we want to you know talk about releasing... Um, your music and this was right after I'd been like maybe I'm done you know so right it was crazy man life's weird like that as soon as you think this isn't the right thing then all of a sudden you've been smashing on a door so hard and it went open and you're like oh, I'm done with this door and then someone's like hey, is anyone out there oh sorry I heard some knocking you know, yeah. it's like that something is what happened to yeah, you yeah yeah that's insane yeah so you started that but at now at this time you were looking you were kind of looking into natural remedies was that in kind of like an offshoot of this therapy thing where you kind of woke up is that where you were like I became aware of natural remedies and thought to go do them no um, unrelated it, i think it only just gave me enough energy to like get out of uh new york with um and and move to minnesota um i was still you know 
I met, um, I moved back to Minnesota. I met a girl I started dating and who was vegetarian. Um, so, and I read, you know, I started reading like, um, like she had some books like the alchemist, you know, by, mm-hmm. um, the uh, Paulo Coelho and like, a, a Eckhart Tolle book. And I read those and those really resonated with me. So I was like getting these little inklings, but now I was still eating meat and, you know, drinking and smoking, but, um, starting to get little tastes of, uh, yeah, like new age philosophy. Oh, so that's where it started, because yeah, like I'd that, say so. And when you went back to Minnesota, yeah. Hmm. And so now, when you were, let's talk about your band for a second. Let's okay. do a little side note because okay. it's just kind of fun to talk about. Yeah. Because you were with a pretty successful band. You guys had an album. You guys made videos. Mm-hmm. Um, let's just talk about that for a second because I don't get a lot of um, rockers on the show. Yeah. Um, so what's it like to live that life? Yeah. It, did you go into it full force or were you kind of like on the outskirts, like I just want to be a musician? Oh. Were you like were you like Axl Rose or were you like <laughs> um, uh, Dave from the Foo Fighters? It's Dave uh, Grohl. That's a good thing. It was last name. Oh uh, yeah. Um. Well, it. I mean, it, it's funny. It's kind of a little of both. We grew up on like indie rock and like in the '90s, where everyone was like nihilistic, you know, and yeah. like, and not into like being rock stars. Yeah. So I think we were like very um self aware, but we wanted to be successful and we went for it. And our label wanted us to be successful. Um, I don't think we like looking back. I I don't think um. Well, you don't want looking back yet. I mean, yeah, we went for it, man. And we were like all into it. And we toured like on that record for like two and a half years, which is what a lot of bands that like, you know, and hear like they're just touring nonstop. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And that was fun going around and like. Yeah, it was pretty fun. You're not uh, selling the life, man. I assumed you right? would be. I thought it'd be much better than what you're talking about. It sounds like a drag. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's a, uh, you know, I don't think I think I had to like kind of. um. Yeah. I I, I I don't want to sound ungrateful because it's such an incredible like gift and opportunity. I feel very fortunate I got to experience that, but I also realize like it doesn't suit me and um, maybe where my strengths are. So it was great um, for the time and it was really um, interesting to experience, but I, I'm not comfortable um, in that kind of like, uh, I don't know, like, uh, that game or where people are kind of like held up, you know, or where you're like, I don't know. like You want to be idolized. Like, yeah, and like cool, being cool. Like, yeah, and who wants to be cool? Yeah, I know, man. It's the worst. It's a drag, dude. <laughs> what does that even mean? It's I so weird. Yeah, You're so. asking the wrong guy. Yeah. Right. All right. So, all right, so moving right along. So yeah. how, how did you come back out to L.A.? Because this, this is where the story really gets going, I yeah, think. Yeah, yeah. So what, what brought you out to L.A.? So we had toured for uh, years, and I was pretty miserable and sick. And, uh, and um. A guy, the engineer who had been James Murphy's engineer, the guy who produced our first record, was living in L.A. And I just, like, something told me, like, just go out there. And um, I asked him if I could record some of my demos because I write on my own nonstop. And um, and then uh, and, and when I did that, he's like, yeah, you know, come out. Um, and then a friend of mine who lived in Echo Park, you know, had just happened to have a room open up that I could sublet. And things just happened uh, uh, magically, um, and I got out here and I was recording with him, not with a band, just on my own, me and him in a room, and I, it just felt like lights were going off, like, like, like this is a good place, this is like a healthy place, like people are nice here. Philadelphia's r- rough, man. I have a lot of good friends there, but the city is very tough. Um, so yeah, it was like it was lights were going off, and I moved out 
as soon as, as soon as I got back to Philly after that trip, I was like, I packed my bags and I gave a month's notice and I moved out, uh, took over the room I had sublet and um, yeah. I can only imagine what Philly's like if you think L.A. is much nicer. Yeah. That, that is, <laughs> uh, I don't know how you live. This oh, sounds like a third world country. Yeah. L.A. is right. pretty tough. You think so? I think oh, so. I think it's paradise. Well, it looks like paradise, yeah. but it's like paradise that God took a dump on. <laughs> I mean, there's so much civilization out here. There's too many people. This, the land is gorgeous, but there's way too many people for the area. Anyway, this isn't about bagging on L.A., so I don't know why you got me started on that. <laughs> so so you came out to L.A., you loved it, you moved out here, yeah. and um, and then what happened? So so part of this, the key to the story is you, you took an improv class, which yeah. told you to follow the unusual. Yes. So tell me about that. So that was, I've always been a huge comedy nerd, comedy fan. I grew up on Monty Python, and so it was a dream of mine to, oh, well, Dan, uh, before I, uh-oh. Came to LA, I'd made a vision board. I was like reading about vision boards. Oh, you stuff. read The Secret? Yes. Oh, okay. And on that vision board was uh, UCB. And so finally, I don't know, I, I signed up for 101 and it blew my mind again off. Like I became obsessed. And yeah, it's all about, you know, saying yes and, and following the unusual, being able to identify the, the unusual against, you know, a, a grounded scene, right? Mm-hmm. And I feel like that has served me in being able to identify um, unusual ideas that could potentially be um like businesses sure yeah um yeah i mean in addition to just like i think giving me courage to um uh enjoy life and um say yes to things like i got a motorcycle after i uh took improv which is not you know motorcycle you think of like some badass with like shades you don't think of like improv nerds saying yes on stage yeah like but it's a weird conclusion you came to yeah but improv's like skydiving it's like you go up on stage in a line and then you step off without knowing what you're going to do and you just kind of trust and listen and follow. Hmm. No, I guess that makes sense. And so you took those kind of ideals and applied them to your life to improve it substantially. Yes. Now that led us to, thanks everyone who's listened to so far, we're finally <laughs> getting to eggplants. Now this led you to a vegan potluck. Yeah. And, and the aha hallelujah moment. Yeah. Let's talk about it. Okay. Yeah, I was at a vegan potluck and um, had a hallelujah moment. Had a hallelujah, and you know, but like you know, the dummy I am, I, I kind of just like forgot about it um, until uh, forgot I, about what the potluck the, and the and the eggplant bacon. Like, oh, oh, well, you didn't mention great. that. Talk about that eggplant. Yeah, well, you skipped yeah. over that. We know about that. Okay. Yeah. Um, what was the hallelujah moment? Uh, that a plant could taste, in my mind, as uh, good as bacon. And um, right, I'm going to feed you the line. You say it back to me. Okay. okay. I went to a vegan potluck, and then I had tried some eggplant bacon, and I loved it and had a hallelujah moment. Okay. All right. I went to a <laughs> – yeah, and I went to a vegan potluck, and I uh-huh. tried some eggplant bacon, and it uh-huh. blew my mind, and I had an aha moment. Uh-huh. Yeah, and what, what, it was an alleluia moment. <laughs> <laughs> and so what did you do with that hallelujah moment? Oh, uh, I forgot about it, buried it, and then I went on living. Uh-huh. But – uh, yeah, there's when, more to the story. There's I more hope. to this story. Yeah. So luckily, uh, was volunteering at a farm. I had moved across the country, followed a girl, big mm-hmm. mistake, and uh, should have called me first, man. I would have given you some advice. Really? Yeah, definitely. Don't ever do that. You've had bad uh, experiences. No, you just don't do that. It's just not a good thing it's to do. It's not a good thing to do. No, no, no. Not, it's nothing against women. I'm not gonna. This has nothing to do with that. Which is what you were leading me down that women. road. I felt like the leash get pulled. No, that's not what I mean. I just think it's always a bad idea to do something that that monumental for yes. someone else's dreams yes 
That's what I, unless you guys share the same dream. Correct. Okay, that's all I meant. That's a well. You're wise to know that. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> like I said, had you called me, I would have <laughs> shared that with you. God damn it, Dan. Where, <laughs> <are> you? <laughs> where would your life be? I know, man. Um, so you moved. Yeah, moved and volunteered at a farm, and they had a ton of eggplant that fall when they were, you know, and uh, one kind of went farm? off again. What kind of farm? Um, it was a biodynamic farm um, outside of Philly, out in, like, the hills. It's pretty beautiful out there. Well, let's talk about biodynamic farms. Yeah. Because this is a – I had never heard of a biodynamic yeah. farm. So why don't you kind of encapsulate what it is and what you guys did there? Because this is pretty amazing. Yeah. Um, well, I'm going to have to, like uh, – Paraphrase because I don't know all the details, but you know Rudolf Steiner was this. Um, mystic. I'll help you along with the details. I've researched. This oh please! Oh great! Please do. But you know <laughs> you the, first. But they'll like bury um like the horn right of like a yeah of like a a bull in the ground um because it like is supposed to affect the energetic composition of a soil. Am I right? Yeah. And, like the crops. And- a lot of people have said it's more c- closely related to sympathetic magic, and in some ways I do agree with them. Although that is a little dismissive of their practices. But yeah, they'll, they'll, they kind of have combined uh, mysticism and organic farming, essentially. It's essentially a mystical form of organic farming, where they take astrology and phases of the earth and yes. mixing herbs with the soil yes. and kind of creating an ecological... Uh, they, they're more, more, more concerned about the ecology of the entire farm than about the production of the farm, which, um, which is kind of interesting because the critics have said that it doesn't. When you look at the the, the yields that a biodynamic farm is not a biodynamic farm isn't going to yield more or larger things. Mm-hmm. But that's one of those weird American ways to look at the world, where it's like you're only looking at the end product, mm-hmm. right? The process is extremely important, and I think the the outcome is a healthier, p- more pure food than you know just huge eggplants that'll win you county fair awards yeah that's my personal little rant anyway that's a biodynamic i think that's farm. great Thank i think you. that's i think that's true i think um I, yeah that uh that's a really good point um and so you were there so you were in the mix of one midst of one of these things kind mm-hmm. of doing the biodynamic farm thing they had a huge eggplant yeah harvest is what you're saying yeah and you know whether or not you believe in the 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 more mystical esoteric parts of it mm-hmm. right that that it's still true that they're applying a lot of thought to their farm, whereas a plug-and-play like industrial farm, you might not be. Definitely. I mean, that's really interesting. Well, I mean, and it's like it's anything with religion, right? So if you were to look at any individual religion and their mysticism, it all seems like magic, you know? Like I grew up Catholic, and they used to bless like a little chain that I had, right? And well, it's like that's kind of like magic. You're saying the powers of a deity are not going to protect this thing and it's going to protect you. I mean, what's the difference between that and magic? Well, nothing. It has to do with people's belief. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that to be dismissive. I just think no matter what philosophy you're talking about, you're going to walk into those waters and you kind of got to be careful yeah. when you start judging other people's religions. Yeah. And I think, you know, when you're, I think part of the mysticism of a lot of, uh, from what I'm gathering, you stayed on a biodynamic farm. I didn't. But from what I'm gathering I mean, from. But yeah, but, I didn't stay there, but I volunteered. But you I volunteered there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You've been closer to a bi- biodynamic <laughs> sure. farm than I have. Yeah. But I think when you look at, it's more of like following a belief system that keeps you in line with the spirit of what the farm is supposed to represent rather than the scientific analysis of burying um, a, a horn filled with crushed quartz. Yeah, I can get behind that. Yeah. That's my philosophy. Yeah. So tell me about your experience on the farm because I'd love to know what kind of things you did. Were you like a farmer? Were you like baling hay? Were you just petting the animals? What were you doing? Uh, Crushing the quartz? No, I was, yeah, no, I was literally just picking uh, 
vegetables and washing them and putting them in the cases for CSA members. Oh, okay. Um, like the good stuff, the man, man of the earth type uh, of yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah, totally. Stuff. Yeah, but um, so why such a big eggplant harvest? Because that's kind of where this this whole story is the genesis, man. Why that's these a big good purple question. Ones? I what don't happened? know. It's serendipity. I, I don't know. So. Yeah. No one knows why they had a big eggplant harvest just happened. No, yeah. That's There's weird. just a ton of eggplants, and uh, and they're not that popular. Of <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I certainly wasn't a huge fan of eggplant. Like I, I know I don't know. I mean, now now that I'm like you know selling this product, a lot of people will say like, "Oh, I love eggplant." I'm like, "Oh, cool. Well, all right." But yeah, yeah. But you um, didn't love it. Beforehand? I didn't know not until I tried <laughs> eggplant bacon. Um, I'm personally not a huge. You know, I don't. I did not love vegetables. Like I said, I ate ground yeah. chuck with barbecue sauce. Yeah, I, yeah. It took a lot. So do you eat a lot of vegetables now? I, I mean, mean, obviously yeah. you have to if yeah. you're not, if you're, you're vegan, right? Yeah. Uh, now, so yeah. you have to eat a lot of vegetables. Yeah. Do you find that it's, how diverse is your vegetable intake? Uh, not crazy diverse, really. Okay. Yeah. All right, yeah. short and sweet. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know, carrots, <laughs> onions, you know, we eat a lot of like tofu and, uh, um, man, I'm trying to think of it. I mean, we eat a ton. Chelsea's like a really good chef, um. So that kind of makes and, it easier. Yeah, bok choy, broccolini. Um, man. Uh, yeah. That's okay. You, you've said it. You've said quite enough. Okay. Did you ever? <laughs> do you eat raw eggplant, or do you just use it? Is it is that too valuable a resource right now to eat raw, or cooked? Uh, I don't. You really have to jerkify it. Um, I do. You don't, you don't. No, I mean like right. no. I'm saying no. I'm saying no. I'm saying is it such a valuable resource to you right now that you couldn't possibly eat it like in a meal? You have to use the resources for the jerky. Uh, I don't eat it like normally for dinner. You don't? No. And, uh, okay. Yeah. That's all right. Okay. <laughs> That's a fair enough answer. All right. Uh, so now you so you saw this stuff. So you started making your recipes there. Yeah. Um, where did you get the recipe thought from? Did you pull it from other like yeah. jerky recipes? Yeah, or? I just went online. And, oh uh, found, man! Yeah. Not family recipe, not passed down nothing, generation. Nothing, man. Nothing special. Yeah. Aren't you glad you uh, chose me to? Do a podcast? <laughs> no, but I mean, I think, but I think that's even more interesting. It's like literally, this is the. This do you is... know a guy who has recipes passed down? Could I talk to them? <laughs> I guess probably... I'm, I guess I'm committed to this one, aren't I? <laughs> yeah, you're all like, you're all in, man. Yeah, I'm like halfway no, honest, through this already. Literally, go to Google. That's what I did. Um, <laughs> And uh, well, you know, I started tweaking them, and uh, uh-huh. and um, have you ever heard of the power of the copyright or the power of intellectual property? Because you should definitely make a recipe and then copyright it, and then tell people you have a copywritten. You can't. Oh, you can't do you that. You can't actually copyright food. Well, then how um, do like how does like Kentucky Fried Chicken and like Coca Cola? How do they get away? So Coca Cola doesn't. I think they have a um a secret pending, recipe, but it's a secret. Pre- and if you so if you do file a patent, then you have to reveal. The, the process uh-huh. um so that's why you, you can have like colas and stuff that rip it off but no one actually knows the secret you know the secret sauce because hmm. um yeah patents have to be uh, you public. need that you need to have a secret some kind of secret ingredient because you can't go around telling people to google a recipe for for jerky you gotta you gotta have a little more mystery man i gotta I don't know i gotta teach you how to market this you gotta have you a little do. more I mystery mean, I, dude i'd love to hear your thoughts i also i also <laughs> think like i think there's an element like you know kale chips anyone can make kale chips yeah um i think it's important that it's like accessible in people's minds even just conceptually like oh i could make this but it takes so long dan if you try to make eggplant jerky it's going to take you 10 hours it's a 
fucking pain in the ass. Yeah, I, I so imagine. So, you, you know, if you really like it, you're going to buy it. Same with a lot of, like, that's what snack foods are. They're, like, this convenience that you pay for. Um, so, I mean, I, w- I could talk branding and marketing all day. No, well, let's 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 yeah. not let's 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 okay. continue your story because so you started working on these recipes. Yep. Now this is you went to you were in Boulder, Colorado for this, right? Are we in that part of the story? You yeah. Went, so then I left the outside of Pennsylvania. Um, I followed that same girl. The, mm-hmm. It was a big mistake to Boulder, and we broke up promptly um, upon arriving in Boulder, and um, the band was slowing down. Um, you know, we weren't finishing this third record that we've been writing for two years. And I was in Boulder, um, just like, well, what the hell do I do now? Um, so I rented a space at a community kitchen and started um, making the jerky that I'd previously just been making in my home kitchen and sending to friends and family. Mm. Um, and uh, and I bought some bulk of craft bags and I made some custom stamps and I started. Those are pretty cool, by the way. Thanks. I man. saw the video. Those are. Oh, cool. I well, wish thanks. you guys could do that normally. I know it's way too much work, but they're pretty cool. And there's also something very unique about getting a bag that's imperfect, right? Yeah. So even if you could somehow manufacture, like, artificially manufacture the uniqueness of it, I don't know if that makes any sense. Yeah. Uh, that would be, because the original bags look really cool, and the stamp is just amazing. Thanks, man. Yeah, so I really like it, but not that I don't like your new packaging, I just think, like, that gives it, like, this sense of, like, oh, this dude made this recipe that I don't, you know, the secret recipe, definitely. and that I just ordered. Like, yeah. that's a cool thing. Cool, you know? yeah, definitely. And I think that definitely comes from, like, that indie aesthetic that I grew up with. Like, mm. when you make a... When you, when you make a record, you know, you do it yourself. You make the artwork yourself. You make the posters yourself. You screen paint, uh, screen print your T-shirts when you go on tour, you know, you mm. drive yourself. Yeah. So it's like just naturally like, oh, yeah, I'll just make the bags and sell it and see what happens. And it just turns out that that's the same principle that startups use, you know, the minimum viable product. You know, you, you make the smallest version of your business you possibly can and test it in the marketplace. Um and if people like it, great. If they don't, you're out, you know, a hundred bucks, whatever. Right. It's the same idea. It's like what I do with this podcast. Right I on. put it in the market. It's been testing for three years. And <laughs> I I, as soon as someone <laughs> listens to it, I'll get some feedback and be able to use that to change the show and how yeah. I can get more than one person to listen to it. So I'm in the same world you're in, man. We're just, we're colleagues in the same <laughs> yeah, world. Absolutely. Run around the same circles. Absolutely. Uh, so, so you're making these bags. You started to, you, so you kind, that's the kind of the moment where you took this from making it at home to kind of like thinking about doing this commercially. Yes. So what was the next step from there? Do people love it instantly? And you're like, oh, this is in demand now. You know, well, this sort kind of, of goes... Sort of, yeah. Okay. Um, I started selling at this little cafe I always went to that sold local Boulder um, products, and they kept selling out. But, Dan, I'm such a dummy again. This is like, I wasn't Another putting girl? it together. No, 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 no. Thank right. God. No, I started going to therapy. I feel like, yeah, I feel like we yeah. need to talk once a week. I'm worried about your life decisions. <laughs> um, but I wasn't putting it together like, oh, I should go into other stores. I was still um, pretty um, uh, insecure about my ability to make it the product uh, at the best quality that mm. I knew it should be. Um, and I think my perfectionism was holding it back. So I wasn't like... Um, putting it, uh, bringing it to a bunch of stores. I was really trying to perfect it in the kitchen for better, for worse. I mean, I think it served me, but um, uh, and now that I have a co-packer and I can kind of like, you know, talk to him about the process and dial it in. Um, but uh, no, yeah, it, it did well, but I didn't 
put it together like, oh, this is a thing. Also, it was taking so long. I spent 10 hours in the kitchen with a yield of like, you know, 30 or 40 bags. And it was just like, um, it didn't seem like it was going to be sustainable. Um, so uh, it's I started, I didn't know what I was going to do, honestly. Like, it, it just did not seem sustainable unless I could find what I, I found out was called a co-packer, which is a, a facility that can... Um, take your recipe, you know, sign a non-disclosure agreement and make your product for you. And that kind of allowed you to ramp it up. Yeah. Now, there's, there's a point in this, um, and I don't know where this comes in. I found this kind of interesting when you were telling me the story. Um, so you, you, during, while you were kind of starting the ramp up process, you did a thing called the Hoffman process. Yeah. How does that fit into this whole thing? Because I found that really interesting when I started looking into that. Oh, cool. Yeah. How, yeah. what did you look into? Well, let's talk about it first. Okay, so, so, so how did you fit it into the story and then so, we'll talk. Um, when I was in Boulder, I, um, and after breaking up with this person, I was like, okay, I need to figure this out. I need to, and now it's going to happen now. And it, so I, I, uh, I started seeing a therapist who was trained at Naropa, which is a school in Boulder with like a kind of a Buddhist um, angle on psychotherapy, which meant um, in practice, it, there was a lot of like, I would say like, you know, I'm anxious. And she would say, okay, you're anxious. Like, where do you feel it? And you'd sit with the sensation, um, which is like a Buddhist idea. You sit with your discomfort. Um, oh, and it sounds awful. <laughs> it is. It is, man. And that's, and I think that is at the core of our, our culture. That's we're all trying to avoid being uncomfortable, which is where peace comes from. Like, oh my seeing, god, I can't tell you the amount of damage I've done to myself. I hate being uncomfortable. I can't tell you the things I've done. The things that you've you wouldn't know what I have repressed in my brain because I hate being uncomfortable. Like the thought of having to sit with that, right? And like staring at someone. I, I know. Awful. Oh, Dan, you're making me uncomfortable right now, and I don't want to sit with it. So let's. <laughs> okay, let's move on. So yeah, let's moving right along. Either. Yeah, it's good yeah. to see you moving. Move, let's keep moving. Keep moving. Keep moving. Um. And at the end of seven months, she said, um, you know, when we were starting to talk about childhood stuff, I was like, you know, I, I'm good. You know, my, my parents were divorced. It was tough. They fought a lot. But, you know, I, I, I have a pretty good relationship with them. I still talk to them. I love them. They're supportive. Always have been. Mm. But as we talked about, you know, specific incidents and things, she, um, we would, like, dwell on it a little more. And I saw, well, maybe there were, you know, things here, there, issues or um, – like, uh, just like maybe there were things that happened in my childhood that might have informed the way I deal with, you know, let's say, how about even like not making these connections or, or whatever, like not being, uh, like choosing career paths that weren't suited to my strengths. And, um, at the, at the end of seven months, she talked about the Hoffman process. I was like, what's that? And she's like, well, it's this week long, you know, retreat that, um, she gave me the, the literature that Bob Hoffman, the guy who uh, organized it, uh, the process. I don't know how to describe it exactly. Um, wrote. And it's, Whenever everyone says they've gave me the literature, I always think, of yeah, like, I know, like a cult or something. Yeah, yeah. People handing out like, oh, please read my manifesto. I know. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of a manifesto. I mean, the thesis is we learn unconscious patterns from our parents. Um, they're passed on unconsciously through their actions, and our and and our parents, their parents, you know, learned unconscious patterns, and they just keep getting passed on until we finally look at them mm -hmm. and that really struck a chord with me and my therapist is really cool and she said her whole family done it and I was like whoa what like because hmm. my whole family doesn't do anything together you know <laughs> like my parents don't talk they're divorced and um it's not it's not healthy and um and uh I think the turning point Dan I think even just that like being like oh like it's the same with like the asthma it's it's like oh like these things that I was taking for granted actually aren't 
necessarily like um, serving me. They're not necessarily mm-hmm. healthy, um, not to judge it bad or good. It just for me wasn't working. So I went into the Hoffman process not knowing what it was. I looked, well, I read everything I could find online. I watched every video to make sure this wasn't a cult. Um, you know, I, I, I was pretty familiar with like um, esoteric uh, ideas and, and cult. Like I'm very fascinated by cults and, you know, um, psychedelics and um, Perfect. spiritual teachings. <laughs> yeah, I don't partake, but I'm very yeah. interested. I study them. Um, and I had a, it seemed, you know, the board, they have a board of directors. A lot of them are very like, uh, um, you know, well-established like writers and psychologists and, and public people. So I wasn't too worried. Anyway, I went into it um, and um, it, it was the most effective and profound um, experience uh, in my entire life. Hmm. And, um, and, 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 and I think of my life now in terms of post Hoffman and, and um, pre Hoff, pre Hoff, pre Hoff and post Hoff, pre Hoff, post Hoff. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I definitely transitioned. Um, and, um, not to be confused with Hasselhoff because a lot of no. people say Hoff for him. So this isn't correct. This isn't pre David Hasselhoff. This is correct. Hoffman process. Correct. And, and Hasselhoff is not involved, not involved at all. in any way, uh, shape or form. <laughs> <laughs> Although I did see the new Baywatch and it was the worst thing I've ever seen in my <laughs> life. So there's that. <laughs> there's post Hoff Hoff. Yeah. Post Hoff Hoff. Post Hoff Hoff. Yeah. So this thing really fundamentally changed the way you viewed the world or the yes. way you constructed yourself or just everything um it made me realize that uh there were certain things i've been pursuing in my life previously that were more or less to a certain extent like closed doors that i just kept hammering out because i wanted Mm -hmm. them and other things that were trying to tell me like i might be suited that i was saying no to and um and post like i'll give you an example like um a friend of mine who kept encouraging me to do this business she's like there's a there's a space for this she's a natural foods broker she believed in it it's like ah, i don't know and she's like well go sell it in san diego this was last you know november at this uh at, go sell it at this um at vegetarian co-op in san diego it's like ah, all right i crumbled i brought some down there and um we put them up on the shelves which is itself a huge feat to get any shelf space definitely you oh know? my god yeah and i'm like ah and then a week later i get a check in the mail and, I, and i'm like oh okay like this is gonna this there's something here i need to like follow this and um then she's like oh you should go talk to this you know um kitchen facility that's connected to rainbow acres it's great this great uh uh natural food store in los angeles it's been around forever i was like "Ah, okay i'll go down i don't know and it's like the perfect facility to make my product and the guy who runs the kitchen is a genius and um it's like Previously, I might have been like, no, you know, I would my will would have been would have overpowered these clear signals that like this is going to serve you in some way. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, hey, dude, like wake up like this is working, you know, whereas before I was like, no, I want to be a rock star because that's cool. and I want to be on this label because they're cool. And 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 I don't know. Um, Does that make sense? No, it totally makes sense. I mean, I think. That happens with a lot of people that, you know, they don't have to go through the Hoffman process, but I think sure. for some people it can I really agree. wake them up. And, you know, and maybe that helped you in a more clear way sense what you were good at and what you weren't good at. 
And for some people, they just they keep banging on the same doors and they're not opening. And then they realize they have to switch something around. And as you get older and more mature and you're more aware of what you're good at and what you're not good at, mm-hmm. then you can kind of find things that are more suited or at least pursue the things that you're better at because everyone wants to be successful. Mm-hmm. And being good at something is successful. You yes. know? And I think that that's what people are always searching for is that and level Dan, of success. And not only being good, but what you enjoy, right? Yeah, like, yeah, sure. Like what you are good at effortlessly, what you're good at with the least amount of work, right. which being a Midwesterner, go goes against yeah. what we're taught, which is like toil and sweat. <laughs> yeah. And if you're not busting your ass, you know, you're not doing shit. Right. Yeah. So like, exactly so right. I found myself like pursuing things where I had to work really hard um, and, 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 and struggle and re- rely on other people who are maybe better than me, you know, better musicians, better um, yep. instead of like, oh, what am I really, what do I love doing? And uh, no, you, you know, my, no. My, my grandparents, you know, they fought in the wars. Like, yeah, they were like farmers. They lived in the Depression. So that's what we inherit. And that's why the Hoffman process, I think, is so important is once, like, I could kind of dissociate myself from some of those patterns that had been passed on, it's, I could see uh, the, the, the lay of the land of my life a bit more clearly. And, and also, if, I, if I'm looking at your story correctly, whether it was completely coincidental or not, from that point forward, you kind of had a little more success with Power Plant Foods, which is your company, mm-hmm. including, which this is kind of cool, you, you, you started a Kickstarter for it, which yeah. is, it's still up, it's a cool page, and on your website, powerplantfoods.com, there's a video of your initial Kickstarter with, with you dressed up in an eggplant suit, which <laughs> is great, although it looks a little bit like... Like Grimace's, you know, more nutritionally savvy <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, cousin, you yeah. know, but it's still pretty cool. Definitely. Or the Eggplant Wizard, for those of you who watched yes. Captain N, the Game Master. Uh, duh. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> making, my, I don't know if that's oh, too obscure dude. of a reference. Nope. I loved that cartoon. Okay, good, yeah. good. Uh, so, you know, you had the Kickstarter thing, but what was kind of cool is you, you, there was this, so the TV show Billions, mm-hmm. they're about a hedge fund and they're, they're, they're fictional hedge fund started like a real life marketing campaign where they were they were funding Kickstarter campaigns as a promotional tool and yours was one of them. Yeah. How did that happen? Uh so uh when you when you sign up to do a Kickstarter campaign and you finally hit, you know, publish or whatever, the first day you get uh, a million emails from people who are like, you know, we can, you know, advertise your campaign for X oh, amount of money. Yeah. We can do this for you. We can do this for you. And I was like, oh, man, do I need this? I was kind of like, what? what is all this? And there was this one random email that said, oh, <laughs> Axe Capital wants to help fund your uh, company. And I was like, what? It, it sounded like total spam. But they sent you the literature and you were yeah, open-minded. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Made sure it wasn't a cult. Right, and yeah. I went all in. And yeah. my life fundamentally changed again, Dan. <laughs> Um, <laughs> post axe and pre axe, <laughs> and not the body spray. Um, uh, you know, I signed up. I don't know. I was like, I sent him my info, whatever. I forgot about it. Then I got another email that said, um, okay, we need you to go to this website and fill out all this personal information and like your social security number. And, and I was like, okay, yeah, kind of weird. Yeah, definitely. Um, but I did it. And then I think at that point, it, it was like Showtime is involved. I was like, okay, I had no idea what it was or what would happen. And then, um, but I'll say this, what's really interesting is that the campaign was going pretty well. You know, we're like two weeks in, friends and family are supporting it. It's getting some love on Kickstarter, but it, it felt a little like maybe the momentum was slowing down. And I had a friend of mine who had a successful software uh, Kickstarter campaign. Look at the video, and he was like, "Paul, um, 
you know, the, the video is like pretty funny. We get a sense of who you are, but I don't really know what the mission of your company is or why this is meaningful in any way. And, um, and I did, you know, I knew like, um, it's, uh, it is of like the utmost importance at this point in time for there to be really compelling, uh, vegan, you know, snacks. Um, so we can reduce like factory farming and eliminate it, you know, um, so we decided to reshoot the video like while the campaign was going and we went to animal sanctuary in acton california um sorry farm sanctuary um where they have rescued farm animals and we shot a bunch of footage there um and we added it to the video and the next day i was driving and i checked my email um I probably had a stoplight because uh, I'm a bad <laughs> any, person. Any cops listening, he was just following the rules of the law, stoplight. And, uh, and it said, you know. your Kickstarter campaign has been funded. Congratulations. And it was Axe Capital, like, had given us, you know, eight grand to get us to our goal. Wow. Which then gave us all its momentum, and it kept growing and growing. Um, and I tend to think, like, it was because we shifted the, the, uh, the focus of the, the campaign, you know? Yeah. That's my... No, that's not a that's a, not a bad thought, and I think that may have appealed to the type of people who use Kickstarter and want to fund your company mm. instead of just like a goofy mm-hmm. like jerky company. Now it has a mission. It's yes. like an adult company. Yes. You know, yeah. you you move you matured over acts pre acts you were a child. Yeah, yes. Post acts you were a grown up <laughs> businessman. Yes, yeah. Uh, it's it's been a pleasure watching you grow up before my very eyes. <laughs> well, so now, now you guys you ended up with like two hundred and forty thousand dollars. Um, being funded on Kickstarter, no, which is pretty... No, uh, 24000 What did I say? 240000 Oh, <laughs> just the factor That's zero great. off. 24000 yeah. Still yeah. impressive, though. Yeah. Um, not as impressive as 240000 right. no, but still yeah. impressive nonetheless. Yes. Uh, now, what do you... Now, did you take off with that money, or did you... <laughs> yeah. Are you going to use yeah. this I, uh, for... I went to Vegas that night. <laughs> I'm <and> black! Uh... <laughs> Red. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no... Um, we the plan um going into it was uh was to scale up and so i was able to buy Mm -hmm. um bulk ingredients um and establish these um connections kind of a supply chain um with our a barbecue sauce organic barbecue sauce supplier which is kinders they're awesome um uh, organic eggplants in mexico through mexis um and uh and then the main thing is these new custom printed bags, which I um, had help designing with the help of my amazing graphic design uh, fiance Chelsea, um, who again I also want to add I met her within a week of finishing Hoffman. Oh, so um, she's post Hoff. She's post Hoff. Oh, that's big cool. time. Yeah. Oh yeah. I wouldn't have been able to. <laughs> big time post Hoff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh yeah. <laughs> Um, and so yeah, we've been using the Kickstarter to fulfill that, and as we you know. As the company grows very quickly, um, now you know I'm like figuring out the next phase of, and then wh- what the next round of like um, raising capital will look like, and what the business plan will be to utilize it and stuff like that. Wow! So yeah. that's really adult decisions you got to make from now on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's let's step back in the child world okay. because I want to talk about eggplants themselves, okay. which is a good time. Forty five minutes in the interview to kind of talk about eggplants. Great. Uh, there, why eggplants? Why did you pick them? Besides, was it just, was it literally just the, yeah, this, yeah that was that's it? literally why. I mean, obviously, I'm like learning a lot about it now that it's this business. I mean, it's an incredible and I think quite um, underappreciated uh, vegetable. 
Um, and a, a friend of mine in Boulder who's Indian pointed out, you know, yeah, in Ayurvedic medicine, the eggplant is king. I mean, it has a crown on it. It's a very, like, mm-hmm. potent, powerful vegetable um, that I don't think gets a lot of love in the West. Well, I don't think it's fair because that is – there's an eggplant emoji on your phone, and right. it's used to <laughs> yes. represent penises or yes. booty calls. So yes. I think that that kind of dismisses yes. any elegance or grace <laughs> yeah. or any way to take it seriously as a food. Yeah. Agreed. Um, but it is actually a pretty impressive food. So number one, it soaks up, it like mushrooms, because I was going to ask you why you don't use mushrooms, but it like mushrooms are flavor sponges. So when it comes to the jerking process, which I want to get to in a second, um, it soaks up the sponges. But there were a couple of things I learned about eggplants that I don't know if you knew about. Um, some of the stuff I pulled off your website, which right. is really interesting because they are very antioxidant. Mm-hmm. They're antimicrobial. Mm-hmm. They have two hard-to-pronounce um, chemicals in them that will be antiviral. Mm-hmm. They prevent cellular damage, all the stuff. They produce fat and cholesterol in your body. Mm-hmm. But one of the coolest, the two cool things, number one, they're technically a berry. Did you know that? I did not know that. They are technically a berry um, because they have small seeds that are inside. Yes. Um, and they taste bitter. Do you know why they taste bitter? Because of the... Um you got Not this. tannins. Um, uh, it's only an hour-long show. <laughs> I don't remember the name. <laughs> Nicotinoid alkaloids. Oh, alkaloids. Which make That's it, it. Uh, it's a relative of tobacco. Mm. I didn't realize that, uh, which is pretty interesting. And they're related to the poisonous nightshade, and people used to believe that eating an eggplant would cause insanity. Yeah. Probably had to do with the penis thing. And they are referred Most to, likely. and the eggplant, so here's the last thing, the eggplant itself, why, why in the world would you call this thing an eggplant? Well, it turns out that the white species of this, when it's young, looks exactly like an egg, but obviously the purple ones don't. But I imagine that that's the first thing people ask, is why is this thing called an eggplant when it's clearly long and purple, mm-hmm. <laughs> which doesn't make any sense. No. Um, so now, so is that why you fell in love with, with the, um, eggplant? Cause it's, it's long and purple or is it just because it's, <laughs> yes. Cause it's, you it's, use it all the time in your emojis and yes, that was, exactly. you might as well make a living yeah. off of this. Yeah, exactly. Now let's talk about the jerking process. Let's get serious for a second. Okay. I'm not joking. Okay. Let's talk about this, the, the jerking process. Okay. What goes into making jerky, especially from a vegetable? Um, like, what was the 10 hours you were talking about? What's going on there? Yeah, there's just like a, you know, there's a very, it's a pretty simple process, you know. You marinate, um, you, um, yeah, you chop it up and. Um, chop up the marinade? Yeah, chop up the marinade. Mm-hmm. Um, but the the tricky part and where the hundreds of hours of R&D uh, come in are in like the time um, to heat, you know, ratio. Um, it's pretty. uh finicky and um you know if you got 10 hours to spare and you set it really low like you're talking about the dehydration process yeah correct okay um you can't really go wrong but if we obviously can't really do that to make it scalable so we've had to um reduce the time and mess with the temperature and um, do a few other proprietary tricks Mm -hmm. um to get it so it's like a a a a relatively shorter process um and then we can make more you know in a smaller amount of time so you're being very coy with the process and maybe it is because it's proprietary but so well so no i mean like i said you can do it you can get recipes online yeah Yeah. absolutely but so now the jerking process so basically you would cut up like a raw you take a raw piece of eggplant yep you would cut it into strips yep 
Then you then you create your recipe, your yep. marinade, whatever the um, I'm looking at a box now. I'll say yep. original barbecue. Yep. So you make your original barbecue. Yep. You marinate it. Yep. Then you stick it in a dehydrator. Uh, Is that yeah. right? Uh-huh. And then dehydrate it for like so basically that's like a slow cooker. Takes all the water out. Yep. So ten hours. Yep. And then it pops out, and then you eat it. Is yeah. it that easy? Uh, well, no, because um, you're going to have to check on it midway through, possibly a few times through, maybe flip some of them, take some of them out. Um, oh, so it's an active process. Yeah. It's not like a crock pot or anything. Well, no. Okay. It's kind of a headache, man. <laughs> <laughs> um, it is an active process. Yeah, you got to keep an eye on it. Yeah. I just I can't imagine this is like interesting to anybody because I've been through this. You are, yeah. I know. I yeah. really want to know about so, the jerking process. So it's like you know you have like different. Like, I passed you up for the Sasquatch Jack Link's beef jerky guy. So like <laughs> I want to know what's going on with the. Uh, well, the 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 inner fillet of eggplant is much more spongy than the outer, so you're gonna have inconsistencies um, in your different. Um, fillets that you're trying to fillets yeah sounds yeah is that what it's called is it called jerking it uh it is called jerking it (laughs) jerking the eggplant and uh now that is that is that is jerking the plant that is yeah well that is really appealing to the 12 year old in me yeah i didn't know that's really the technical term jerking the eggplant (laughs) oh i I mean it is now i don't know okay yeah so that so that's the whole process beginning to end yeah. You cut the fillets, it's softer on the inside, and that soaks up the, the good stuff, mm-hmm. and then that's where it gives its yeah. coup de gras. Yeah. The je ne sais quoi. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty incredible, uh, you know, and um, that this, you know, unassuming plant can, it's so versatile and can, yeah, absorb flavor, and at like, it's just, it blows my mind, honestly, like, I think there's so much room for innovation in this sphere. And it, and it's, cl- I mean, it's happening like by the day we went to the natural foods expo, um, a couple months ago in Anaheim and dude, it was insane. Like it's bigger than South by Southwest, you know, it's bigger than like the Oscars. Like this is the coolest, most creative like industry. Like it's, I think it's bigger than like, you know, uh, Silicon Valley. Like it's because food is fundamental to, to life and to, um, you know, to, to the way our society operates, like ultimately, like it all comes down to food. And I mean, even, you know, (laughs) there's, it's just like, it's so important and the and and you know I, I don't necessarily think it's it's bad to eat meat i think eating factory farm meat is pretty reprehensible and undeniably bad um but this but the fact that we don't really question the consumption of meat and i don't mean to go off on a rant but do it uh, this is a bit i mean the Get fact it, that it isn't questioned especially me growing up in red wing minnesota and we're eating chicken nuggets with happy cows like that contributes to widespread like um uh i think um you know violence in our society and and domestic violence and and we just kind of have this um it's just like it's just accepted the same way like we'll accept you know like the way don't mean to tie it all together but the way i like accepted asthma we we accept these like um conditions of poor health is like a given um when it's not they're like um there are reasons why everyone's sick in our society and it, a lot of it comes down to food quite honestly like what we put in our body on a daily basis 
that there's an you know the 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 results of those choices aggregate and they either turn into chronic disease or they turn into health and energy um so there it's just so much i think it's endlessly fascinating i really feel blessed to have to be a part of this industry and to be contributing in a small way and learning way more than i'm like contributing like i learned so much more i you know i've given way more than yeah than what i'm offering so it's cool well, I, I agree with you 100%. I, so I don't, I don't want to call you out on this, but I did yeah. think it was funny that you said this. You do know that you just tied chicken nuggets to domestic violence. When yeah. you go back and 100%. listen to the tape. Oh, I will go on <laughs> <Okay>. record. <laughs> I'd love to, 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 to dig into that. Like, I 100% do. I think that the... the um, because and, and the way I would make that argument and sure. feel, is that... I can't wait for this. I think it is in um, the... The leap of, um, uh, or the the disconnect that it takes to um, between uh, a live animal with feelings to a, a, a this little um, commodity, this little tiny nugget that's in a happy meal. That same um, disconnect is in um, you know the movies we watch. Um, between like, you know, someone who actually dies, you know, out on a street versus like this commoditized like film with like a cool movie poster and, and sound like there's this like disconnect between what we consume and the reality that it symbolizes. And that disconnect, that kind of like um, unawareness is, um, I think, where a lot of the problems happen, disease and violence and and poverty. I mean, it's in that disconnect. Um yeah, I don't know. You, no, I think I understand what you're saying. I don't yeah. know if it quietly directly leads to domestic violence, but I do understand that there is a disconnect between this, you know, a, a real chicken and then this brown fried sphere of meat. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, how did we get there? You know, like mm-hmm. I do think there's a, a very valid argument to be made there. So uh, I think what you're doing is great. I think that it if if you can make. There's, you know, we talked about this privately, but if you can, if there are people out there trying to use insects as the next protein, eggplants are nowhere, nowhere, there's no, there isn't that ick factor with eggplant, which is a vegetable. So even you have a a smaller hurdle to overcome. Mm -hmm. And I think that there is nothing wrong with replacing something that's, that's, that's nutritious. I mean, you are taking a lot of the water out of it. So Mm -hmm. the level of nutrition is different than having a raw eggplant. However, the level of nutrition in, in a, in a jerked eggplant is different than jerked turkey or jerked, you know, beef or whatever, even venison, which has less fat. Uh, I think moving people on to that type of food is, you know, to your point, what is good for the, that all starts with food, that nutrition will lead to a healthier life in general. So I'm on board. I think you're doing a great job. Hey, thanks, man. You got it, man. <laughs> um, well, thank you for being on the program today. Oh, uh, thank I, you for this having is, me. This has been an incredible discussion. And uh, as luck would have it, this show's coming out on National Jerky Day, yes. which is June 12th. Not something I planned. It's one of those happy accidents, um, you know post-eggplant jerky will be the next phase of my life. So, Paul, (laughs) thank you for being on the program. Thank you, Dan. And I want to thank everyone for listening. Have a good night. Fascinating Nouns is a Glenn co-production and is hosted and produced by me, Daniel J. Glenn. The Fascinating Nouns introduction was produced by Daniel J. Glenn and E.A. Barrientos with music and sound design written and performed by E.A. Barrientos. Go to fascinatingnouns.com to listen to every episode or you can follow the show on social media. 
You'll find links to the show's Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, and YouTube pages at the bottom of the Fascinating Nouns webpage. Now, if you don't want to miss an episode, you can also subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. And if you want to know more behind-the-scenes stuff, you can also subscribe to the newsletter, which will tell you about upcoming guests as well as new projects. And if you really love new projects, check out DanielJGlenn.com for everything that I do. Thank you for listening. End of transmission.